I'm Rob Dansman, and this is The Better Semester, where I provide insight and actionable advice to parents of college students. I'm a nationally certified counselor and licensed clinical mental health counselor, specializing in work with college students and their parents to improve mental health, organization, and motivation. Today, I'm talking about college student motivation. Most of this information can also be found on my blog at MotivateCounseling.com and my two books, Insider's Guide to Parenting and Insider's Guide to College. Today, I'm going over what motivation is, some neurological information about it, but most of today is focused on actionable steps college students can take to improve their motivation. Even before the pandemic, motivation was the number one problem students complained about. It wasn't drugs, relationships, or classic mental health problems. Depression and anxiety are often comorbid with low motivation, which means they often exist alongside low motivation. Motivation is also one of the hardest clinical challenges for therapists like me who specialize in working with college students. Now, what's so hard about just getting our goals lined up and our energy directed? Are there lazy kids out there? Oh, for sure. There are also cultural drivers like unchecked privilege and entitlement issues. But for a majority of college-aged kiddos with motivation issues, there's more going on. Motivation, contrary to many parents' beliefs, is not a moral failure or lack of character. It's not a personality trait, and it's not just laziness. Before we get into the research, let's talk about what I mean by motivation issues. I'm not talking about the morning after partying all night and not really feeling like studying for Monday's test. So what exactly is motivation? When we talk about motivation issues, I'm talking about that ever-present feeling that the big things in life like a career, family, taking care of one's body, relationships, whatever you can imagine, just aren't rewarding enough. There isn't that internal drive. Future stuff just doesn't seem important enough. Motivation issues and depression have a lot in common, but not everyone lacks drive is depressed. For example, I might take pleasure from lots of things like hanging out with friends or gaming, but may not have much of a drive to go to class or apply for internships. For some, they never had that fire in their gut that pulls them forward. For others, they may have had a head trauma or a significant event that significantly impacted their brain. Like many other blog posts and chapters I've written, what it comes down to is we are our brains. Motivation, therefore, is a software issue in the brain. What we think of as motivation is actually a complex relationship between brain structures and brain chemistry. Dopamine, one of the most important and well-studied chemicals, is often described as the molecule of pursuit because it's instrumental in creating a pressure that creates an impulse, push, or drive to achieve or acquire something. So what does the research say on all this? Motivation is not a psychological or moral issue. It's a neurological issue that's only recently been studied and understood. Our brains have an emotionally sensitive gatekeeper called the amygdala. When there's low stress, the amygdala directs information to the prefrontal cortex, or what we'll refer to as the PFC. The PFC processes that information into long-term memory or immediate cognitive emotional signals. We can either respond to the signal or ignore the signal. 
Unfortunately, this response can't happen when we experience a significant emotional state, which blocks this flow of information and processing. Situations that trigger a sense of frustration, anger, or boredom are associated with high stress within the amygdala. A recent study looked at the brains of both quote-unquote motivated and quote-unquote unmotivated participants. Researchers found that those who were willing to work hard for rewards had more dopamine, which was found in the striatum and PFC, both of which are associated with motivation and reward. With the quote-unquote unmotivated participants, however, dopamine was only found in the anterior insula, which is associated with emotion and risk perception. Motivation levels are strongly related to the perceived difficulty of a task and the perceived rewards that come from its completion. When there are low rewards, the motivation to work through will be lower. If the perceived difficulty of a task suddenly increases during a period of low motivation, motivation will drop further. This eventually leads to a downward spiral in motivation level unless we override it with behaviors we'll talk about later on. Dr. Victor Vroom, a professor at the Yale School of Management, developed what he termed Vroom's expectancy theory, which assumes that behavior results from conscious choices. Vroom also believed that the individual factors such as personality, skills, knowledge, experience, and abilities were factors in how we experience motivation. Vroom believes there are three variables that contribute to increasing or decreasing motivation, expectancy, instrumentality, and valence. Let me break those down for you. Expectancy. Expectancy is having the right tools or skills. I think of this as a competency for any given task. Instrumentality is the clear understanding of the relationship between performance behavior and rewards or consequences. Valence is the importance we place on an expected outcome. If something doesn't matter to me, why would I invest time and resources into it? Next, what can we do? When the reward is greater, we tend to be more motivated. Makes sense. But how can we achieve high motivation for those tedious or repetitive tasks that just are so mentally painful and boring and maybe have a reward, but it's super far off? Set smart goals. For starters, think of every goal being defined by the SMART definition, specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, time-sensitive. Another strategy is to make tasks less difficult by breaking them into smaller pieces. For example, if your student has got a big test in a week that covers five chapters, schedule five study sessions for 90 minutes for each chapter. Encourage them to not focus on the test, focus on the smallest to-do list item related to their studying. Maybe they need even smaller pieces. For each 90-minute study session, they can assume they'll take a 5-minute break every 30 minutes or after a certain number of pages are reviewed. When possible, increase the rewards for completing a task. Maybe when they finish studying a chapter or two for the test, they reward themselves by going to dinner with friends instead of ordering Jimmy John's. Basically, set achievable goals with stimulating rewards broken into small pieces. When they see the finish line, they're more likely to keep running forward until they've reached it. We can also train the brain. Besides setting SMART goals, the acronym for Specific, Measurable, Attainable, Realistic, and Time-Sensitive as above, we can also train our brains. 
While this may seem like a departure from our topic of motivation, I want to give an example of how we can use simple behavior on cognitive skills to change how our brain operates. When we realize our brain's fight, flight, or freeze response is activated through the amygdala, saying to ourselves, I am angry or I'm sad, reinforces the threat response. Whenever we say to ourselves, I am, we're actually making a statement about identity, as if it's concrete and a fact. This implies the permanence of that emotional state. Essentially, you're saying to yourself, the emotion is who I am. Instead, it's healthier to characterize emotion as something that's felt and temporary. If I said, I am a skin burn after touching the stove, well, th that seems kind of crazy. Instead, I would say, I felt pain from getting burned. Saying, I feel rather than I am will result in a greater sense of, or perception of, control since we actually don't control our feelings. Students often say, I am not motivated. Instead, they can practice saying, I don't feel motivated. That's the starting point to regaining some agency over low motivation. That's a simple way for students to train their brain. So what else can they do? What are some other things we can do to bump our dopamine, or more accurately, our dopaminergic system up? In addition to the above suggestions, here's a list of go-to things they can do to increase dopamine and likely improve motivation. First, there are medications that increase dopamine or at least mimic it. While there are several medications that specifically treat complicated medical issues, kind of like Parkinson's for example, there are several antidepressants and ADHD medications that also impact or increase uh, levels of dopamine. Students can also eat foods high in magnesium and tyrosine Examples include chicken, almonds, green leafy veggies, green tea, oatmeal, pumpkin seeds, turmeric, and avocados. Food is more than fuel. Specific foods provide fundamental nutrients for brain function. Students, when working with a psychiatrist, can also take supplements like L-tyrosine or L-theanine, vitamin D, B5 and B6, omega-3, and magnesium. Though it's often better to get these foods from food sources. Sometimes our diets just don't provide enough of what we need. Next up, scheduling. Scheduling transitions and hard stops can help. Don't work too late. End your work day before you get tired and bored of what you're doing. Next, students can also intentionally use exercise. Music and social events all have significant impacts on dopamine, but don't use them all at once. Too many sources of dopamine stimulation causes a psychological crash. As I said above, motivation is one of the hardest things I treat. It's at the core of so many issues. Parents think their kids' lack of motivation is laziness or moral failing or just a phase. The research says something very different. There's so much more to understanding and treating motivation, but for now, this gives you a solid foundation. Whether your college student is starting another semester or they just graduated, these techniques and information can ensure they keep their life moving forward. That's it for this episode on motivation. For more information, check out my blog at MotivateCounseling.com or my two books on Amazon. Just search for my name, Rob Dansman.